Have you ever met anyone who had absolutely no, absolutely no consideration for anyone other than themselves? Now, don't answer out loud, especially if you rode to church with them today. But <laughs> think about this. Have you, ever, have you ever met someone who would make a mess and others would have to clean up the mess they made? Have you ever met anyone who would pout when they didn't get their way? Uh, that they would absolutely make sure that they expressed in some verbal or nonverbal way that they were displeased or unhappy or disappointed or had a need unmet or an expectation fall short. You, you just knew someone who had to pout every time they didn't get their way. Have you ever met someone who would use words to intentionally hurt someone else? Intentionally hurt someone else. Have you ever met anyone who had very little, if any, control over their emotions and their reactions? Uh, they were happy one moment, sad the next, happy one moment, sad the next, smiling, laughing one moment, crying the next. Uh, have you ever met anyone uh, who would say anything to keep themselves out of trouble? Uh, that they would blame someone else, even if they were guilty, even if they were responsible, they, they, would, they would say anything uh, to keep from taking responsibility for what they had done. Um, have you ever met anyone who wanted all the attention on themselves? Uh, or who had trouble getting along with others for consistently long periods of times? Um, ha have you ever met anyone who instinctively ran away from difficulties rather than facing them? Of course you have, because once upon a time, you were around children. Uh, that's children. That, that was children when we were children. That's children today. Children are born. We all know this. Children are born having absolutely no consideration of other people. You take that beautiful little baby boy, that beautiful little baby girl home from the hospital, 2.30 in the morning, they give no flips. They're gonna cry, they're gonna scream, they don't care if you're asleep, they don't care if you're exhausted, they don't care if you're depressed, don't care if you want to die. They are going to cry, 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 and cry some more, and they're not gonna have one thought about, I really feel bad about doing this. Uh, I know it's late and I know it's inconvenient. I know I was just up like 45 minutes ago, but that's, that's how children are born. Children are born making messes and they give no effort to clean up after themselves. That's just kind of how children are born. Uh, I remember when Allison was in residency at the University of Kentucky, so she was working, you know, these crazy long hours, and the church, the church was exploding, so there, it was hard work here, it was hard work there. So in those days, we had an apartment in Lexington uh, that we stayed in a couple days a week uh, because I could commute there, and then the other days of the week, she could commute here. And, and that was easy enough, you know, when it was just, you know, one, one, one child, Shepherd, and then, you know, then came, Grace and James, and, and you know, then it was kind of a juggling act, but you know, here, here's two children and, and their, their challenges, and you know, it's hard work, and you know how exhausting it can be. And, and, and so I remember one night, you know, I was trying to get everybody fed and clean before, you know, Allison got home, and so that, you know, everybody could just, you know, be present and we could all hang out with each other. And, and so Shepard, I had Shepard eating, and, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I've got Grayson over in the tub, and, and so I, I was over there, and I, I put him in in the water and, and you know, he had his little fire truck. That's the only thing that he had in, in, in the water, you know, because you gotta, gotta be careful with kids about what's in there and what they can reach. So, you know, he had his fire truck in there and then, then Shepard needed something. So I stepped out and it was just, you know, like eight steps away and, and I was trying to make sure he had what he needed. Well, I, I walked back in to the bathroom and I, I look and, and Grayson is also playing with what appears to be this wooden log. Uh, and I'm like, 
That's not wood. And, 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 and so, you know, he's, you know, running the fire truck, you know, up and down. And I'm like, you were in here to get clean. And here's a mess, but you know what? You know, that's, that's children for you. They'll make a mess and then be entertained by it and have fun with it. And, and that's children. Uh, children are born to pout and scream and cry when they don't get their way. Uh, they'll just let you know. They don't care about it. Um, they can't control their emotions. One minute they're happy, one minute they're not. One minute they're laughing, the next minute they're crying. Uh, children are born liars. I know. I, I know it's hard to admit, you know, moms and dads and grandparents because they're so beautiful and we love them so much. But children are born liars. I mean, with crumbs on their face, they will lie to you. Did you eat the cookie off the counter? What's on your face? Nothing. You sure you didn't eat that cookie? I, no, I did. You promise? I promise. You, you got a chocolate chip stuck between your tooth. Are you sure? You promise? Yes, I swear. Who did it? My brother, my sister, somebody else did it. I mean, they're just, that's kind of the way kids are. They just want to pass the blame. They, they love to have attention. That's just how they're born. Hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom. Hey, dad, hey, dad. Hey, look. Hey, 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 hey. Look over here. Let me show you something. Hey, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom. And that's just, that's how we're all born. Uh, children react and speak without giving a whole lot of thought to it, you know? Uh, a child will hear mom and dad, you know, saying some things about some people they shouldn't be saying those things about and then you know those people show up and the kids are listening and all of a sudden it dawns on who they are and they're like uh is this who you were talking about the other night when you said such and such and it's like shut up and it's like you know what are you doing are, do you not think and no they don't think the frontal lobe has not yet developed it won't until they're 21 and, and so it's just this 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 child thing the way that they're born they, they pass the buck they want to pass on responsibility and and children are born with this tendency to want to run away from difficult things rather than facing that. Now, we all know that to be true about all of us. That's just how we enter the world. Um, but I want you to think about this. How we start in life isn't supposed to be where we get stuck for the rest of our life. Uh, one way to think about it is that we're all born in the shallow end of the pool, but nobody expects us to stay there. I learned something recently, uh, and people who have time to study this type of stuff, they studied and they determined that it's easier to learn how to swim in the shallow end of the pool. Now, uh, I've got thoughts and I've got questions, but you know, for a host of reasons, there, there, there's proven scientific data that it's easier to learn uh, how to swim in the shallow end of the pool. But the idea is that you learn to swim in the shallow end of the pool because sooner or later, you will leave the shallow end of the pool. Sooner or later, you go to deeper waters. You'll be in a, a more treacherous you know, situation or circumstance. You'll cross that rope. Remember that rope in the pool when we were kids? You'll cross that rope over from you know, what's safe and what's shallow to what's not as safe, and it's a little bit deeper. And so we're born in the shallow end of the pool, all of us, but, but nobody expects us to stay there. Our kids are born in the shallow end of the pool, but we don't expect them to stay there. We, we learn to swim as it relates to life in the shallow end of the pool because we know, we know sooner or later, the water's gonna get deeper than where we're learning how to live life. And the reason that that's true is because there is this expectation. There's this expectation that we grow, we, we progress, we mature, that, that we develop depth as individuals as we grow older. There's just that expectation that exists. Because as parents, we're not so much bothered when our baby acts like a baby. Now it's frustrating, it can be fatiguing, you know, all of that. But we don't get, we just, we don't get angry when our babies act like babies because they're babies. But when our 12 year old acts like a two year old, we have a problem with that. 
You know, our baby acting like a baby, we find it cute, it's entertaining, it's humorous. Our 14-year-old acting like a baby is not at all cute, not at all entertaining, and not at all humorous. When our 21-year-old is acting like an 11-year-old, it is problematic, it is troublesome. And so even parents, parents and grandparents and individuals, we all have this general expectation. It's a universal expectation that we have for one another, whether we think about it or not. We expect each other to grow, and progress and mature. And it's understood, it's just understood that the older that we grow, the older that we get, the more our capacity to develop depth increases. Uh, the older you get, the more capacity for depth that you have in, in the way that you think cognitively, the way that you deal with people relationally, socially, behaviorally. Uh, it's different than physical development because when it comes to your physical development, it's just kind of in there. It's pre-programmed, it's, it's genetics. Uh, as long as you've got what your body needs and you're in a, you're in a pretty safe environment, uh, your body just does what it does and you don't even have to consent. You, you don't have to do anything. And you go from being you know, an infant to a toddler and from a toddler to an adolescent, from an adolescent to an adult. It just happens. You go through puberty, your voice changes, you know, your body changes. All of these things take place. You are physically changing. You're physically maturing and, it, and it's just pre-programmed in you. But when it comes to other types of maturity, listen, when it comes to social maturity, behavioral maturity, you know, when it comes to relational or mental, you know, maturity or spiritual maturity, that is a choice we make. It's not pre-programmed. It's not inevitable. It is a choice. Um, as one great thought leader and cultural theologian put it, age is just a number. Maturity is a choice. Theologian Harry Styles. Um, <laughs> That, that's, that's, that's true, it is. Age is just a number. 13, 14, 25, 37, 42, 56, 64, 78, 88. It's just a number. Maturity is a choice. You can have someone who's young, a middle school, a high school student, who's mature beyond their years, or you can have an adult who acts like a child. It can go both ways. In other words, not everyone who grows older chooses to also grow up. Not everyone who chooses to grow older also chooses to grow up. And what can be cute in a child, or at worst understandable because we know they're a child and yeah, we kind of expect it and we're not surprised by it, can be disturbing to see in an adult. You, you see a little baby sucking on a bottle? Oh, that's adorable. You see a grown man sucking on a bottle? Well, I've got questions. I'm curious, I'm gonna need more information. Uh, there's, something, there's something going on here. When it comes to immaturity, and this is important, immaturity is an indicator. Somewhere along the way, somebody got stuck. That's what immaturity is. You know, you're so immature, that's so immature. Immaturity is an indicator that someone somewhere along the way got stuck. There's a lot of adults who got stuck in high school and they see the world, they engage with the world, they have relationships with people in their sphere of influence. You know, they just, they just continue to live much of their life as they live their life in high school. Some people got stuck in college. So some people got stuck at some season of life and they've never been able to move along. Immaturity is an indicator that someone somewhere, they got stuck, they got stuck, they got stuck in, a, in a rut, they got stuck in a spot and they didn't grow past it, they didn't progress past it, they didn't mature past it. 
Somewhere along the way, progress and development, it got halted. Growth stalled. Maturity interrupted. They got stuck. So when you encounter immaturity in your own life or somebody else's life, and when I encounter it in my life or somebody that I'm, that I'm dealing with or that I'm in community with or relationship with or work with or married to or whatever it may be, wherever there is immaturity, it makes life harder. It never makes life better and it never makes life easier. Immaturity makes everything harder. It makes relationships harder. It's hard to have a deep relationship with a shallow person. It's impossible to have a deep relationship with a shallow person. Immaturity makes relationships harder. It makes facing reality and acknowledging what's true. Acknowledging, hey, this is unfortunate, but it's true. I'm facing it, I've gotta move on in light of it. Immaturity makes facing reality harder. It makes progress and growth. It just makes everything harder. That's why we're going to talk about it for the next few weeks, because it's a really big deal. Uh, I think it's a really big deal. I think maybe there is an epidemic of immaturity among adults. I think that many of us, we hate it when we see it in others, but we cannot recognize it in ourselves. Because acts of immaturity, it almost always feels justified. When we're acting immature and, and we can't see it and we don't realize it, we always feel justified. And other people pick up that it's immaturity. Other people feel the immaturity. They hear the immaturity, they experience it. But for us, it just feels justified, it feels warranted. And so immaturity in the mirror is very difficult to see. And so today, what we're gonna talk about is the fact that you know immaturity in your life or my life makes us being in a relationship really difficult. Immaturity makes a relationship with your mom or your dad or your grandparent or grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, it makes it difficult. It makes a relationship with your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your boss or your employees, it makes it difficult. Without maturity, immaturity is gonna make all those relationships more difficult. And here's the thing, immaturity will always ultimately cost us relationally because it will divide us. It will divide us until it isolates us. And then we will be left alone. Now we'll have people in our lives that we've got friends on social media and, and we've got you know, people who are just kind of superficial friends and people who are acquaintances and people that, hey, we know who they are and they know who we are and we say hi and we're with occasionally and all these things. But we'll end up isolated from any real significant intimate relationship in our life. That's what immaturity does. It divides us, it isolates us, and it leaves us in a spot where we're stuck without the ability to have any seriously depth, any serious depth to our relationships. That's, that's how immaturity works. And such was the case with a group of Christians in the first century who lived in Corinth. Um, group of Christians who they, you know, they worried a lot about spiritual things, they talked a lot about spiritual gifts, and, and it's a really interesting you know, book to read, but I'm gonna give you the highlights of it today because Immaturity was crippling those believers and they didn't know it until somebody pointed it out. And so this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people just like us. He said, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now he's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about, hey, listen, immature people, if they can't agree on everything, they don't wanna have anything to do with each other. But mature people, when they can't see eye to eye on less important things, they decide, hey, can we agree on the most important thing? And if we can agree on the most important things, then we can move forward. Immature people, they never get that far. 
Immature people can't get past basic disagreements about things that may not even be that important. But maturity, maturity in your life, maturity in my life comes along and says, okay, we, we can't move forward. You know, when we feel like we can't move forward because there's all of these little things that we disagree about, let's find out if we agree on the most important things. And if we agree on the most important things, then there is a path forward. There is a path forward for us as a couple. There is a path forward for us as a family. There is a path forward for us in our friendship. So if we don't agree on all this other stuff, the politics, the social, you know, all of that, let's find out if we agree on the most important things and let's move forward. And, and Paul does this by reminding them that they're family. They're family, they're believers, they're, they're family with one another. And we all know, you know, what's true about families. They're all jacked up. Uh, every family, they've, they've got some crazies in them. Uh, every family's got some nuts. It's like, you know, we've all got them. And every family, we learn to love in spite. We learn to love in spite of all of that. Because in some of us, now let me say this. Some of us, we don't have families that are good enough that we can even wrap our arms around that family is a good thing. And I get that. But Paul's talking about the ideal of family. What family in its best version, what family the way it's supposed to look like how it's supposed to be. And, and here's what Paul says about family. Family is the place that you're accepted despite all the other stuff. Family is the place where you don't have to perform or pretend. Family is the place where you get so close to each other. You live so close to each other. You are bound to rub each other the wrong way. Superficial relationships, they don't do that. Acquaintances, they don't do that. And when they do, we check out. But, but real relationships where you get close enough to people, you're gonna rub people the wrong way. When you're in a family, you're gonna get close enough to hurt each other and disappoint each other and betray each other. You're gonna see the best in each other, the worst in each other. But in Paul's mind, family is a place where you love beyond all of that. You're still loved, you're still accepted, you're still wanted. And he says, hey, you're family, so you gotta, you gotta be able to move past this stuff. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me there are quarrels among you. Now, how would you have liked to have been Chloe or her family when this was let out, read out loud to the church? And everybody's like, what's up, Chloe? What are you doing? And so somebody in Chloe's house, you know, texted Paul and said, hey, we got all kinds of trouble down here. And, and people are arguing and they're quarreling, they're complaining about each other to each other, they're complaining about each other to other people. When you read the scriptures, here's what you discover. Fools quarrel. It's a foolish person who gets into quarrels, who gets into just constant verbal disagreement. That, that's a fool. It's an honorable person, the scriptures say, that, sta that stays away from those things. Matter of fact, Solomon said that quarreling and arguing and, and that type of verbal you know, bickering it's best to prevent because it's like spilt water once it happens. It's a lot easier to prevent it than it is to clean it up. It's a mess. Now, immature people, how this factors into what Paul's saying, immature people live their lives overly sensitive and easily offended. Overly sensitive and easily offended. Everything is a thing because they're overly sensitive and easily offended. That's what immaturity does. It pushes us, it leads us, it coaxes us towards pettiness. And so we end up in petty conflict or we become a part of an unresolved conflict about something that may actually be important. 
but we leave it unresolved. We, we, we leave it undealt with. We, we ghost it. We walk away from it. We just disappear. We, we don't want to face it because immaturity, it, it would rather run away from something difficult than, than face it. And so Paul calls out the drama. And he points to the cause and he says, again, brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, you're worldly. You're, you're living like mere infants. You're acting like babies, acting like babies. He says, the problem is you're just immature. You're not spiritual. He says, you think you're spiritual, but you're not. And he said, what does it mean to be spiritual? He's gonna show us. And it may not be what you think it is. He says, you're worldly in the sense that you're still taking your relational cues from the world from culture and not from Christ. You're, you're taking your relational cues on how to have a relationship and how to handle this and how to speak to that and how to react and respond to this or that. He says, you're taking all your cues from the culture and not from Christ. And he says, it's causing you some serious, serious. It's costing you seriously in terms of your relationships. And so he surfaces the problem. He says, it's immaturity. He says, I gave you milk not solid food, because you're not, yeah, not because you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you're still not ready. He says, you're, you're just immature because Christians can be mature, immature. He says, you're failing to progress. You're failing to mature. You're failing to deepen as believers. And here's the thing, your relational behavior towards one another, it hasn't caught up to your beliefs yet. Because these people believe that Christ had died for their sins been buried and raised from the dead, that God in Christ had demonstrated his love for them, that while they were sinners, while they were in the wrong, he died for them. He extended grace and forgiveness to them. So they believed all of that, but those beliefs hadn't caught up with their relational behavior. And he says, you're still worldly. You're taking your cues from the wrong people. You're learning how to have relationships from all the wrong people. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, that's how I know you're worldly, Paul would say. It's because all of this jealousy and all this quarreling, he says, are you not worldly? He said, that's, that's not a Jesus thing. That's a, that's a cultural, that's a worldly thing. Are you not acting like mere humans? He said, the evidence that you're worldly is that you're so jealous. And we know that jealousy is cruel as the grave. It's a wicked thing because it always stands in the way of love. Whenever you're jealous of somebody, it prevents you from loving them the way that we're supposed to love them. It's always a symptom of pride. It's always a catalyst to conflict. Jealousy, running unchecked, it just creates distrust and paranoia. It destroys relationships. When I get emotionally wrecked, or you get emotionally wrecked or emotionally worked up because someone is what you're not, or someone has what you don't, you are automatically in a place that makes it very difficult for you to have a relationship because jealousy smothers the love. You look at someone and man, look at them, they are. And then you look in the mirror and you're not. Look at what they've got, look at all of that. Look at that house, look at that car, look at those kids, look at that wife, look at that. And then you don't, it's a sign of immaturity, Paul would say. That jealousy is this kind of fear that you're losing someone or you're not being included in someone's life. And the pain of that jealousy does what pain always does. It makes us self-consumed and self-centered. And self-centeredness always kills a relationship. Whenever we are consumed with self, that self-consumption, that self-centeredness, it will always kill the relationship. And in time, and this is the irony of it all, when you're jealous of someone, you know, it, it's not what you would expect. A lot of times when we're jealous of someone, it's because you know, we can't stop watching, we can't stop looking, we can't stop listening. 
But eventually that jealousy, even, even towards people that we know well and, and, and perhaps have, have loved and been close to, we end up pushing away. That's how it works. It's Joseph and his brothers. They were jealous of Joseph and they pushed him away and they were, they were willing to sell him into slavery because when you're jealous of somebody, you'll treat them in ways that you never thought was possible. So they're quarreling, they're jealous, everything's a thing. And Paul's pointing to the fact that immaturity breeds incompatibility. Matter of fact, let's all just say that out loud together. You ready? Let's go. Immaturity breeds incompatibility. Wherever you find people that should be getting along that can't get along, there's some immaturity somewhere because immaturity breeds incompatibility. Well, they're not my friend anymore. Why not? They're just not my friend anymore. We don't talk. You don't talk anymore? Oh, we don't talk. Why don't you talk? We just don't talk. That take my ball and go home. I'm gonna pout I didn't get my way. You didn't, I thought. This is what immaturity does. It just makes our relationships incompatible. So Paul, he, he says a bunch of things about a lot of things, but he's still talking about the same thing. And so he gets to the end of chapter 12 and he says this, he says, so I'm gonna show you the most excellent way. He says, I'm gonna show you a better way. I'm gonna show you what true spirituality and true maturity looks like. I'm gonna show you what will keep your relationships intact. I'm gonna show you what will allow you to go deeper with your relationships and just not be so shallow. Where you can actually have authenticity and honesty and intimacy in your friendships, in your family. I'm gonna show you what mature relationships look like. And so then he writes some verses we've heard a hundred times. And I don't want you to tune out the next couple of minutes just because it's so familiar, but keep it within the frame of what Paul's saying. Paul says, let me, let me show you what maturity looks like. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong, gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul says, without love, it doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter if you're right. Doesn't matter if you're speaking what's true. Doesn't matter. If there's no love, you, you should just keep your mouth shut. You can be right, but with no love, you're just as good as wrong. This is true in marriage, this is true in parenting, this is true in leading people, this is true in the office, this is true in the classroom, this is true on the team, this is true everywhere. He says, without love, it doesn't matter what you say to people. He goes on, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He says, without faith, it doesn't matter what you know. You, 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 can, you can be able to lecture for 35 minutes on the relationship between human responsibility and the sovereignty and the providence of God and how all that meshes together. You can have the Old Testament figured out. You can have the sequence of creation figured out. You can have all the violence in the Old Testament figured out and you can have an answer for everything and have it systematized and alphabetized and filed away and be able to tell any about, anybody about it at any time. He says, but if you don't have love, just, it doesn't matter what you know. You can have a faith that can move mountains, but a faith without love isn't a faith worth, it isn't a faith worth having. He says, if I give all that I have to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Without love, it doesn't matter what I give. Without love, it doesn't matter what I sacrifice. You can say, you can say no to all the wrong things and yes to all the good things, but without love, he says, it's nothing. He says, let me show you what mature love looks like. Let me show you. You think you know what love is? Listen, our culture thinks love is something you trip and fall into. It's something that you feel. 
The idea of philosophical love in reality, the idea of New Testament love or biblical love, it's not as sexy, it's not as romantic as what we like to read about or think about. The type of love that Paul's talking about is it's mature, it's a choice, it's an act, it's a behavior. He says, let me show you what maturity looks like. He says, it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. He said, that's what mature love looks like. It's patient, it travels at the speed of someone else. I don't run ahead and then get frustrated that you didn't keep up. I don't get mad at you because you're not as far along as what I think you should be. Patient means I'm long fused. There's a long fuse. I'm willing to give grace. I'm not harboring ill will towards you because you're not doing what I think you should do and you're not as fast as what I think you should be. Patience is what allows us to deal with the annoyances that we all have and throw on other people. And yes, you are annoying. There are annoying things about you. There are annoying things about me. And when you get close enough to people, your annoyance is going to be thrown on them. Patience is what allows us to deal with the annoyances and the inconveniences that we inevitably throw upon each other. It just happens. It's what causes us to resist the urge to make a point at the expense of the relationship. Well, I just gotta say this, and I don't care what happens as a result. Well, that's not maturity, and that's certainly not love in the sense of what Paul's saying. He says, love is kind. Kindness, kindness is just leaky grace. You, 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 people don't even really have to ask for grace. They don't have to beg for forgiveness. There's just grace there already ahead of time. Kindness isn't passive aggressive. Don't you just love passive aggressive people? Are you mad at me? No. Well, you walk by me six times without saying anything. I didn't see you. you, you you're sure you're not mad at me? No. Okay. Everything feels great. Great. You know, passive aggressive, kindness isn't that. Kindness isn't pouting or telegraphing in a way. Hey, you screwed up, you messed up. You let me down, you disappointed me. That's not kindness. Kindness is I'm more worried about you, how you are, how you feel than myself. Kindness is giving people the margin to be human. Hey, you're human, I'm human. Guess what, when humans get together, we do silly things. When humans get together, we mess up. When humans get together, we say things we shouldn't say. We, we respond in ways that we shouldn't respond. When humans get together, it requires that we give each other margin. Kindness is, hey, you may take the low road, but I'm not. Love doesn't envy. You're able to celebrate somebody else's victories. You're able to celebrate somebody else's win. Love doesn't boast. You don't always have to be the hero of every story you tell. You see other people as more important than yourself. Paul says that's maturity. He says it doesn't dishonor. That's not what it does. It doesn't dishonor others. You don't demean others. You don't humiliate others. You don't bring shame upon others. You don't take something about someone and tell a bunch of people in order to harm their reputation or to change the way that people think about that person. That, that's dishonoring to someone who bears the image of God. And to attack a person is to attack the image they bear. He said, why would you dishonor them? It's not self-seeking. You're really genuinely worried about them. You're not self-seeking and self-serving. That's, that's immaturity. 
Self-seeking people will use people. Self-seeking people will use people for their own entertainment, their own distraction, their own pleasure, whatever it is. Immature people use people. That's how it works. Paul says, don't do that. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's not easily triggered. It keeps no records of wrong. You, you don't approach relationships like a game where you're constantly keeping score. Well, I do this and you don't. Well, I, I, I say these things and you don't. Do you know how many times I have? You know right, the reason why they say that? Because they know how many times they have. They, they keep score. So don't approach relationships as though it's a game because it's not. Don't keep a record of each other's wrongs and then pull them up when it's convenient to use against the other person. Don't do that. Maturity, it allows us to forgive and to let go and to move forward. That, that's what maturity does. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Let me just say this because we're, we're wrapping her down. Immature people, they, they speak truth, but let me tell you why immature people speak the truth, to make themselves feel better. I gotta say it, I gotta say it, I gotta say it. And then another immature person, well then say it, say it, say what you need to say, say what you need to say. And an immature person says, I gotta say it because I'll feel better. That's immaturity, that's self-seeking. That's putting you at the center of your own story to make you the hero of your own narrative. Paul says that's not maturity and that's not love. Mature people will speak the truth, but they'll speak it in love with the genuine hope and motive that the other person is better because of it. That's the difference. And it is an important distinction. Immature people, they'll say it to feel better themselves. Mature people will say the truth, but they're saying it for a completely different reason. They want the other person to be better because of it. Paul says, it's always protecting. It's always trusting. It covers. You let me down. You disappoint me. I hurt your feelings. You protect it. You protect me. I protect you. You don't go around telling everybody how I disappointed you or, or how, how I let you down. I don't go to someone else and say, you never believe what he said about me or how he treated me. No, I cover it. It's forgiven. There's grace. There's kindness. It always trusts. You know what trusting means? It means you find the most generous explanation for why someone did what they did and then you believe it. Well, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would say it. You find the most generous explanation, the most gracious explanation for it, and then you do your best to believe it. Well, they probably this, or I can only imagine how difficult, or I probably would do the same thing. Love believes the best. It doesn't assume the worst. Immature people assume the worst about people. Immature people become cynical. Well, I guarantee I know why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they did that. I'll tell you what they meant by it. Let me tell you, because I know things. <laughs> people are stupid. We're stupid. We're so dumb sometimes. We can't see the immaturity staring us in the face. Sometimes we're like children at preschool in the way we deal with each other as adults. It perseveres. It doesn't give up. It doesn't walk away. It doesn't ghost people. Mature love fights for the relationship. That's what it does. Maturity says, I love you and I'm not giving up on you. I love you and I'm not giving up on you. 
that the relationship we have, it's worth it. It's worth the pain, it's worth the awkwardness, it's worth the work, it's worth the inconvenience, it's worth the time, it's worth the energy. It's not that the relationship, it's the person is worth it. It's maturity, it's love, Paul would say. And so Paul says all of this, and he says, okay, you got it. And then he frames it for us. He says, so, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul said, I knew that I was gonna grow older. And that was in God's hands. But growing up, that's in my hands. Paul said, somewhere along the way, I've decided I'm not gonna be the center of my own universe. I'm gonna stop pouting when life and things and people don't go my way. I'm not gonna belittle or insult people in order to feel better about myself. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be that person. That's what culture does. That's what the other you know, students at my school, that's what they do. It's what the guys on the team does. That's what the people at the office do. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna act like a child on the playground at recess. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be the person who holds grudges and gossips and gives cold shoulders, who acts like a mere human. No, I wanna live like a follower of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, maturing, developing, deepening, progressing, understanding, understanding that immaturity says, I love you because I need you or because you need me. That's immaturity. I love you only because I need you. If I didn't need you, ah, I wouldn't love you. I love you because I need you is like drowning a person because you're using them to stay afloat. That's what that is. That's what immature people, they will use people to stay afloat, to get from them what they need from them. And in the process, they don't care if they drown them as long as they're able to self-preserve. Or I love you not only because I need you, but I love you because you need me. I like that you need me. It makes me feel important. Makes me feel, makes me feel worth something. And it's just as bad, you're just using them. You're using them to be needed. You like the way it feels. It's not necessarily that you love them. It's that you love them because they need you. And you're using people to fill the voids in your life. Maturity says, I need you because I love you. I need you because I love you. I love you and I want you in my life. I love you. I love, I love your personality. I love your quirks. I, I, I love your creativity. I love the gifts that God's placed in you. I love your personality. I, I, I love you for who you are and I, I need you. I want you in my life. A lot of people love people because they need them for something. A distraction, entertainment, or they love people because those people need them and it makes them feel important, makes them have a better self-worth. And Maturity though says a completely different thing. And Paul wraps it all up and he says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest demonstration of love was Jesus. 
And from Jesus, we learn that love is a willingness to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of other people. So if you find yourself not knowing how to handle a relationship, how to respond, what to do, take your cues from Jesus and learn that love is a willingness to forgive. Love, when we look at it and see it in Jesus, it is a willingness to give grace. It is a willingness to absorb pain and disappointment and refuse to walk away. Jesus looked at his followers and said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you. So when you're not sure how to treat them or what to do or how to respond, look at the cross. And when you look at the cross and you see the man who is carrying your sin, your shame and your guilt, and he didn't for a moment let it get in the way of forgiveness for you or grace to you or mercy for you. It didn't for a moment get in the way of his love as he carried every sin, all the guilt, all the shame. And when you're not sure what to do, you take a look at the cross and see how all that was going on never interrupted his kindness towards sinners, never interrupted his kindness towards the guilty. And if you, after taking your cues from the cross, can withhold kindness or forgiveness or grace or patience, well then there's bigger problems to deal with. But as a follower of Jesus, you take your cues from the cross. I take my cues from the cross and I learn what mature love looks like. And then I begin to live it out. I choose it. I choose it when I don't feel it. I choose it when it's not easy. I choose it though it's fatiguing. I choose it because he said, love as I have loved you. Heavenly Father, Paul said that love is the most important. I pray that we get the most important thing right. Help us to love like Jesus has loved us. Help us to mature and develop. Help us to move from the shallow end of the pool. God, help our students to be mature beyond their years, to lead the way, to show others there's a better way, there's a more excellent way, that they'd be willing to be countercultural, to break from the ranks, to swim upstream, God, help adults like me and the rest of us. God, help us to move beyond the shallow end of relationships. And Father, help us to love as Paul has taught us and Jesus has demonstrated for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, before we leave, before we leave, because our students are here with us, can we give them another big round of applause? Yeah. And here's what I would love for you to do. I, I want us to just for a moment, I want you to bow your heads and I want us to close our eyes. And some of you are moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and my son's over there and many of your sons and daughters are over there. And I want us just to take a moment as a church and I want us to pray for our students. And I want you to pray for every one of those students as if they were yours. And, 
And I pray that as God hears our prayers in the years to come, God will raise up men and women, I believe, who will do great things, who will make a great impact. And let's just take a moment and let them know that we love them by by praying for them. And so just in your own heart, take a moment and let's pray over their lives. greatest concerns, their biggest questions. God, you know their past, you know their present, and God, you see their future. And God, as much as moms and dads can love their sons and daughters, God, we believe that you love them more. And God, that your plan for their life is better than our plans for their life. So God, would you give grace for these students to be strong, to persevere. This is not an easy culture to follow Jesus in and it's not getting any easier. And I pray that you would give them the the determination to follow Jesus no matter the cost, that they would be leaders, that they would show others a better way, that they could change their friends and their classes and their school's trajectory. So Father, keep them safe. Put healthy people in their lives. Help them to make wise choices and to surround themselves with healthy friends. And God, help adults in this local church to continue to provide opportunities for them to take their next steps of faith. And we pray it together for them and over them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.